Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. And yes, we are two days away from the first UFC pay-per-view of 2023. We have two title fights, including a historic fourth fight for the flyweight title. And oddly enough... UFC 283 is like the fifth or sixth most important thing going on in the UFC right now. A lot to talk about at the end of the show. We'll take some of your questions as well. But joining me this week, no Jed Mishu. And we have a treat for you because we typically don't get the time with this man during a pay-per-view week because he's in the thick of it all. This time he's here with all of us because the Brazilian beast Guilherme Cruz is on site in Rio for UFC 283. Let us say hello. Let us welcome back. The great Jose Youngs. How are you, sir? It feels weird not being on site for a UFC pay-per-view. I was trying to think of the last one I missed completely. Um, and it's I think it was the first Fight Island because there were obviously a lot of Brazilians on that card. It was originally gonna be Gilbert Burns versus Usman, Figueredo fought for the title. It was a lot. I think Jessica Andrade fought Rose, Shogun fought Lil Nog. So we sent Guillermo to that because of the Brazilian connection. So that was July 2020 was the last pay-per-view I missed. Feels weird, but I'm happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here. Uh, we're going to break some news right here, too. Jose is going to be on the watch party with us. He's going to join us for the yeah. Davison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno four fight for the flyweight title. You've been there for the other three, so I figured it's fitting. Mm-hmm. Let's just get you on for this fourth one. So it's going to be a lot of fun on Saturday. There's a lot to talk about this week on the show, but let's start with the biggest story of them all, Jose. Francis Ngannou, no longer in the UFC, not the heavyweight champion anymore, not on the roster anymore. Dana White said on Saturday after UFC Vegas 67, he is free and clear. And there was a lot said during that press conference by Dana White about Francis Ngannou on the way out. There was a, another big announcement as well, and we will get to that later on in the show. But you were in the room 
during Dana's press conference where he said Ngannou is an unrestricted free agent amongst many other things. What was your reaction to all of it being in the room? What did you take away the most from Dana's press conference in regards to Francis Ngannou parting ways with the company? It was, I, I don't, I, I want to say surprised because when obviously when Francis fought Cyril Gaon a year ago this month, and then he did the interview with Eric Hawani on the MMA Hour, that, spe- that special one uh, that everyone talks about. At that point in time, I would have been, I would have guaranteed Francis was never going to fight in the UFC after that. He would, he was going to ride off into the sunset, do his boxing thing, make a bigger paycheck, and everything he said. Uh, and then we started to hear rumblings of, you know, Francis maybe fighting John or Stipe in December. And then we keep seeing Francis in the, in the PI and we saw him throwing kicks. And then there were rumblings that maybe they wanted to do John versus Francis in March. John Jones was ready. It was only a matter of time if Francis was ready. So in this, in that, in this 12 months, my, it just felt like there was a glimmer of hope that maybe we would get to see Francis and Ganu versus John Jones or Francis versus Steve Bate three or, or someone else or whatever. So I want to say surprise, but my, uh, I remember when he announced it, I was like shocked. But then I like when, like five minutes later, I was like, well, why am I surprised? <laughs> Francis a year ago basically laid out the, this blueprint of what he wanted and the UFC wasn't going to do it. And then he walked away. So I was surprised for about five minutes only because there was that glimmer of hope. And uh, the way Dana announced it was, again, I was like caught off guard. And at the same time, I'm like, this is what he does. <laughs> like he buried the lead in that press conference. He walked in, he goes, uh, I know the first question is going to be about the poster, right? And I'm like, no, that's not what the first question is going to be. And then, so he announced Cyril Gaon versus John Jones, and then he announced Francis Ngannou had been released and he was a free agent. So, uh, in- initial thoughts were surprise, but then five minutes later, this is just what the UFC does. As you know, Jose, and you've been in this space long enough, and you talked about Dana. That's what he does kind of buries people on the way out a little bit. And there, there's two sides to every story with situations like this. And people often will choose one side or the other. And typically, the truth will lie somewhere in the middle. And on Tuesday, on a very special edition of the MAR with Ari Helwani, France Ngannou joined the show, told his side of the story. And to me, I think the biggest takeaway for me is not just a lot of what he said. I thought he could have gone a little bit more on the dark side if he wanted to, Mm -hmm. but he chose not to while still sharing his truth. So I thought that was pretty impressive on his end. And he talked about what he wanted for this new contract with the UFC, three fights. He wanted a, a lot of other things to advocate for fighters moving forward, which I thought was really interesting, but arguably unrealistic. So in some people's minds, just presenting those options to the UFC meant he kind of had a foot out the door anyway, and they weren't going to come to a deal, but that's what he said he wanted. And in the end, he leaves the UFC with no regrets. So we got your biggest takeaway from Dana's press conference. What was your biggest takeaway from Francis's side of the equation? Speaking with Ariel. That he didn't burn the bridge because we see a lot of fighters on their way out, maybe burn that bridge with Dana. Cause obviously like we, we all know we've seen this a million times. He did it with Nate in September. He's done it with the fighters that leave. You kind of bury the guy leaving, you know, because you want him to, like, well, Nate, obviously they matched him up with Hamza because he wanted not to ride off into the sunset to be carried off in a stretcher. 
Uh, and then Francis, he buried him at the press conference saying, you know, he just didn't want to fight John. He wants to fight lesser competition for more money and this and that. So it's just not really a surprise. I think for people that cover this sport, I don't think they really looked into that and took that too seriously. I think he was more speaking to the masses that kind of watch this sport on an auxiliary level, like kind of on the outskirts and aren't embedded. Um, but for Francis's side, I, what I took away is he didn't, burn the bridge with ufc so like that's why i still think he there is a small chance he might come back in the future maybe he does his boxing matches maybe he makes all this money maybe he plants the seeds for all of these things he wants to happen in the ufc someone takes the rain and runs with it but i don't think this will be the last time we've seen france and gano in the ufc i think he wants to do his thing right now but uh if i was a betting man i wouldn't bet that he'd be back but i think there is a small chance um but like you said, I think everything he laid out is just hyper commendable. Uh, it's, we've long said this for a long time. What it would take to make major changes in the UFC is a few things. And one of them, it's not, it's not, there's not one answer. One of the things that we need is someone like on France and Ghana's level to step up and speak up. And we've seen people like, you know, remember there was that weird MMA athletes association thing where it was like George St. Pierre and Cain Velasquez and Cowboy Cerrone. We all assumed that those would be the big, big enough names, but then it just kind of disappeared when everyone kind of got what they wanted out of it in terms of those individual fighters. And it would take someone like Francis or John or uh, Daniel Cormier or Connor to step up and really be this big advocate for the UFC and, uh, this was one of them. Francis just happens to be leaving now. Um, hyper commendable, but like you said, maybe when you heard him, I'll ask you, when you heard him say what he wanted, did you think any of that was going to happen ever in the UFC? Well, it just wasn't going to be realistic, right? No. And and I thought, right. I thought the way he presented it was even more interesting because he was like, Correct. you know, just just meet me halfway on something. Like, let's negotiate these things. Like, give me something. Right. He like, did, let's meet somewhere. And, he did. Right. He, he did the negotiating tactic. It's what Robinson Cano did when he went to the Mariners. He asked for like four hundred million dollars, and the Mariners are like, "No, we'll just make give you three hundred million dollars. You'll still be the highest paid player in baseball, but we're not giving you four hundred million. You know, they met, he asked for the moon and then they still gave him less, but it was still more than what he would have made anywhere else. So the meeting halfway thing was very much like a negotiating tactic. The UFC just was like, nah, that's not happening. Yeah. And, I, and I'm with you. I, I do think the door is not shut on a return down yeah. the line. It's not going to happen anytime soon. But, and I think John Jones is the catalyst to all of this because. Yeah. If John goes out there and just melts Cyril Ghana, we'll talk more about that fight in a moment. And then he goes on and fights Stipe in July or whatever, and he just melts Stipe. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. John could just get on the microphone and be like, all right, Francis, get your ass back here. Let's go. And then Francis has a little bit of power in that situation. But I truly think it all depends on John just going out there and being the John Jones of old, uh, having this new impact at this new division. He's hungry. He's ready. I think that's the biggest thing that's going to get him back there. But I, I feel like the relationship with Dana and I, it seems like the UFC did come correct money wise from, from all accounts, but yeah. it just wasn't enough that we, so. that we, that we've been told, you know, none of us were in the, cause like even what for, the big thing that really stuck out to me is what France said. He's like, Oh, I was told I would be the highest paid or like heavyweight. He's like that. I know of like, I don't know. <laughs> like that's what they're telling me but you could be make you could be making that up so i don't 
again, if there if that's true, even more respect to Francis for walking away and asking for all of these things and you know playing his cards and not folding. Yeah, and and we can commend Francis all we want. And one of the big things about this, in my eyes, is this is a very risky move for Francis Ngannou because yeah, he does have options. He's going to get paid very well. He will have opportunities in this sport. He wants to box and. You know, if this is four years ago, we'd be like, eh, this is probably not going to happen. But the landscape of the boxing scene has changed so dramatically with yeah. MVP and Misfits boxing and all of these big events that happen. Francis getting a boxing fight is not out of the realm of possibility and people are going to watch the hell out of it. So he's going to have opportunities there. But he said he still wants to compete in MMA. So let me just ask you this. The UFC could be in the equation down the line. But if you're Bellator, PFL, One, Ryzen, whoever, everyone's going to shoot their shot and they should. But if you had to guess, like giving Fran the which promotion do you think has the best ability to give Francis what he truly wants? Like, who would you say of those promotions that I mentioned or maybe something that I didn't mention? Who do you think the front runner is here to, to sign this guy? I mean... The seeds were already planted for PFL, giving, I think, what did he say? It was his mom or his grandmother or something was wearing that shirt. I know we kind of no-sold it, but they seem to have a lot of money. Now, the thing that would be, the thing that would throw a wrench into that is him signing with the PFL is they obviously signed Jake Paul. They obviously want to sign Nate Diaz. I'm Everyone wants to sign Nate Diaz, too. They, they're going to want to sign Francis. Jake Paul has that, like, revenue split, right, where it's, like, 50-50 type thing. If they do that with Nate, and then they do that with Francis. I don't, they're not going to make money. Like you basically want to have them, you, you want to stack a card, put like, especially on a pay-per-view, how many pay-per-views did that first pay-per-view sell? And then you put Francis, Nate, and Jake Paul on a card maybe, and you stack it. And that would do a lot of buys, but then you have to split the 50-50 revenue three ways. So you're essentially making what like 12.5 percent of sales or ticket sales or pay-per-view buys like i think that's going to be a big thing i saw a lot of people say nate and francis should team up and go somewhere that would be fantastic i would love that i just don't know how realistic it would be if you give three fighters a 50 50 split on revenue including jake paul because it's going to demand a lot of money now maybe they have a lot of money to spend and they can afford it if that's the case if nate and again i don't think francis and nate are going to go into the pfl tournament it's going to be one one of those super fight things but then who's he going to fight i have no idea selfishly i would love if francis fought in like a bellator horizon type thing where you could fight in a ring and do one of those crazy fights because here's what what's Who's out there? Who's the biggest draw for Francis to fight in MMA right now? It's probably Fedor. And if they, if Fedor somehow beats Ryan Bader and takes one more fight, and Francis Ngannou and Fedor, and they have Francis sitting cage side with his UFC belt, and then he comes in and squares off with Fedor, <laughs> who has the Bellator belt, that would be big business. That's probably not going to happen. Who Realistically, who's another heavyweight in MMA? It's probably, and this is going to sound weird, Marius Pujanowski is like the only yeah. other draw. <laughs> the only other draw. And that's bizarre to say because he's not an incredibly high. You're not going to have Francis go in there, beat Marius Pujanowski and be like, yeah, baddest man on the planet. We already know he's the baddest man on the planet. Marius Pujanowski is not even a top 25 UFC heavyweight. That's not fair. He might be. The UFC heavyweight division isn't that great, but he's clearly not top 10. Um, so those are the two big names. So if he wants a big draw 
to like bring eyeballs, he's going to have to go to boxing unless a boxer comes into the MMA world. That's why I think Bellator is like a very interesting option because of the relationship with Showtime yeah. and Paramount. And they could just chuck, be like, hey, we'll just chuck you on some of these cards. Like he gets his, to scratch the boxing itch. He gets to do some stuff for them. And then Bellator could just be smart and give him a three fight deal, not lock him up long term and go from there. But did you, yeah. uh, do you see that uh, fight circus tweet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll pay you $50,000 to throw some midgets around. I'm like, hey, man, take the money, man. I'll do that. Yeah, and even if he signs with Bellator, then, you know, they could do the Ryzen thing, go fight in the ring sure. or whatever, and they want to co-promote mm -hmm. with other promotions, so maybe we could still do the Ngannou-Pujanowski fight, which, by the way, would be the greatest build to a fight ever. It would Bro. be epic stuff up until the bell rings, and then I think Francis yeah, just kills right. him. But no, everything else I before know. that would be tremendous. Right, and like Casey and I, we before the pandemic happens, like we interviewed... Uh, Martin Lewandowski, I think that I, I might have been butchering his name, who's the 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 KSW president. He's like the Dana White of KSW. And he's like, we want to co-promote. Like they even talked about like doing a KSW event in like Chicago with Bellator because there's that huge Polish population. Then a global pandemic happens and kind of threw a wrench into things. But if they want to co-promote with KSW, Bellator, and throw Ryzen into the mix, I'm here for it. Yeah. So Francis, as of right now, his final UFC fight will be beating Cyril Gunn on one leg at UFC 270. Gambling on himself, it paid off once. Let's see if it pays off again. We will see what happens. This is a, a very fascinating story to start off 2023, and we're, we're, we're barely at the halfway point of January. So <laughs> things are – buckle up, everybody. Buckle up. But speaking of Cyril Gunn, and we mentioned this a little bit in passing here – the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The aftermath of all of this is he is going to get his second opportunity to fight for the UFC heavyweight title. He will do so March 4th, UFC 285, and he will fight the returning John Jones, which was first reported, I can't believe I'm saying this into a live microphone, by an exterior billboard outside of the T-Mobile arena by accident. This is a very interesting fight, Jose, on paper. And when those pictures and those videos started circulating, we're all like, what the hell, man? This is crazy. But... Now that it's booked, now that we've seen the UFC poster and everything, your reaction to this fight for the heavyweight title, March 4th, John Jones coming back to fight Cyril Gunn. 
I'm very excited. Uh, it would, I, but I would be excited for John Jones versus anybody because I've said this a million times on a million shows on this side. I think John Jones is the most talented fighter the UFC has ever had. George St. Pierre just happens to be the greatest. If John Jones wins a heavyweight title against Cyril, if you want to argue with me that that's enough to put him over the top for greatest of all time, I won't argue against it. If he beats Cyril and then beats Stipe, there's no denying John Jones is the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Obviously, the PED stuff, if that's why you don't put him at the top, fine. Same as Anderson, fine. I'm not going to argue that either, but I think in my mind, John would be the greatest ever. So anytime you see the best at anything do anything, I'm going to be very excited. I'm very excited specifically for the Cyril Gaon fight because I am in the camp that Cyril was clearly not prepared for the game plan that France has gone to implement it again against him, especially with one leg. I think if Cyril and coach Fernand Lopez knew that uh, Francis Gano was compromised and he was hobbling around and they had been prepared for a wrestling heavy or stylistic, like that style of fight. I think that fight, I'm not saying he would have won, but it wouldn't have been at, it wouldn't have played out like that because a lot of people think Cyril obviously won the first two rounds and then Francis came back and won. If Cyril had won one of those rounds in the end, then he would have been the heavyweight champion of the world. I think Cyril is very, very good at formulating a game plan for specific fighters and implementing that. Now, it is not always exciting, as we saw with like the Volkov fights and so I think it was the Volkov fight. I might or I might remember like there was that stretch of time in the apex where there was like a ton of heavyweights fighting in main events like Jairzinho and Volkov and Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. It all kind of gets mixed in together, but Cyril is not like everyone remembers the tides who we've ossified just being this and the Derek Lewis fight being these epic performances. He didn't always have the most, like they were extremely technical. And if you like high level martial arts and Chris striking, it was fun to watch, but it wasn't aesthetically pleasing to watch a heavyweight do that. Now, could that happen against John Jones? A thousand percent. <laughs> like if this fight plays out with John Jones and Cyril Gaon just kind of like pitter-pattering and not wanting to take giant risks at heavyweight, wouldn't be surprised at all, especially considering the last few fights that John Jones has had. Will his chin translate to the heavyweight division? Maybe he even he doesn't know that and he doesn't want to uh test Cyril's power. So if we have two master game planners going in there against each other i am personally excited for it i like high level violent chess um or checkers whatever your game of preference is i love this fight i obviously want francis versus john i think francis and gano versus john jones in madison square garden could be the biggest fight in the history of the ufc obviously connor habib's tough to pass but i think that could rival it because that's the heavyweight champion of the world in Madison Square Garden, where that's synonymous with each other. We've never had, obviously, Daniel Cormier fought Derek Lewis in that, but I don't think many people considered those two the best at the time. Daniel, maybe. Um, but Francis John Jones checks all the boxes for just blockbuster fight. Cyril versus John, I think, is a perfect fight to see where both of them are at right now uh, in this heavyweight division. I'm very excited for it. I'm glad you brought up some of the potential things that could happen in this fight because... There's a lot of questions about John Jones. There always is. And ever since kind of John was back in the books and it seemed like this fight between him and Ghana could happen in March, the questions come up like, when can we take this seriously? Because even if you put John in a fight, it's not always guaranteed that he gets there because, I mean, history tells us right. that it's John Jones things could happen. So 
until he he's at that level right now where like Jed was at with Nate with Nick Diaz, like until he's actually in the cage, people just aren't buying it all together. But outside of all of that, there are a ton of questions about this guy. New division. He's right. obviously a giant man with a whole bunch of extra muscle. He's he's a mystery right now because by the time he fights Cyril Gaon, he's been out for over three years. And his last couple light heavyweight title offenses were not all that spectacular. So what's the biggest question you have about him right now? Less than two months from UFC 285. Just how the time off in general. Uh, I think Johnny Walker even said like maybe his timing will be off. Uh, I'm he's also John his one. I'm not calling it a knock because that's an unfair word to use. One of his big things is that people wanted to see him fight guys that were his size, with his length, with his physical advantages. Obviously, that first fight against Gustafson, that was really the first time we got to see John Jones face off with someone where they could look at each other directly in the eyes. John also said he didn't really take that fight camps overly seriously. Folks a lot on boxing and partied a lot, and then that's obviously one of the greatest fights in UFC history. It's in the UFC Hall of Fame. They went in the week that John got in a lot of trouble the last time. So take that for what you will. He's also fighting in Vegas again, so I'm right there with you. I don't know if this fight happens until he's in the octagon. Uh, considering all this, all of his history in the the state of Nevada, I am curious how his speed, his chin, everything, all the advantages he had at light heavyweight. I am curious to see how they translate over to the heavyweight division. He's had a lot of time to prepare, uh, which is even more questions because, like when Israel went up to fight Jan Blahovis, it just looked like Jan was the bigger fighter. This was. Israel was just a middleweight that didn't cut weight and showed up to fight Jan Blachowicz. And Jan was just the bigger, heavier, uh, more dominant grappler. And that showed. John has had, what, three-something years to bulk up and just to be massive. I think he obviously did it right. He's not one of these guys, like he said for a long time, if he was ever going to go up, he's not just going to show up. He's going to do it the right way and stay there. I'm curious how if everything he has translates over to the heavyweight division especially against a guy like cyril who is very fast very accurate very powerful very strong and just an incredible athlete obviously the meme that we heard a million times about the dominic reyes fight was oh this is the first athlete you ever fought which obviously was not true but it was kind of became a joke cyril is a serious athlete in there in terms of mixed martial arts I'm very, very excited, and I, like I said, we're going to get a lot of questions, a lot of answers to a lot of questions from both men in that fight. Yeah, and Cyril is a freaking giant because He's like huge. the pictures, <laughs> the pictures that he was taking yeah, in the weight room at Apex. Oh my god, man! He's he's so big. He's huge. He's Stacks bigger than my house. He's a massive <laughs> individual. So can't wait for that fight. Uh, and speaking of this card, the rumor mill, Jose, as as you have seen, mm-hmm. has been rampant when it comes to this card mm-hmm. because yesterday we had reports surfaced that Amanda Nunez versus Arini Aldana for the Bantamweight title could happen on this card. Other reports surfaced that Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso for the flyweight title mm. could also happen on this card. So if these fights are for real, Jose, and we have not confirmed either of these yet, um, well, I'll explain one in a moment, but should they both be on this card? Should it be one and are these the right matchups for both of these champions? Well, if you listen to MMA Fighting's championship prediction podcast that me, Shaheen El Shadi, Jed Mashu, and Damon Martin did, uh, someone named Jose Youngs predicted that Irene Aldana and Alexa Grasso would probably get the next title shots, and no one else 
said their names whatsoever. In fact, people were talking about the bandweight division top five, and I was the only one to bring up Irene. Uh, yes, I am Mexican. I'm round. That's not why. Uh, I just think the <laughs> UFC is looking for fresh matchups, and they've been trying to get Irene into a title fight for a long time. Uh, I heard rumblings that they were looking at Mexico City specifically for a, like late, like maybe early summer, late spring. Don't know how realistic that is or how real those were, but I heard there were rumblings. I assumed they were going to try to get Brent. They were going to wait to see if Brent Moreno won. And then obviously I think Valentina Alexa Grasso would have been a perfect co-main event for that. If we, if Brent Moreno defend his title in Mexico, Alexa Grasso, obviously Mexican Valentina Shevchenko speaks Spanish perfectly. I think that would have been a great main event, co-main event, both flyweight titles. If that's not the thing, I've also heard obviously the Brooklyn thing we've heard in April. Uh, that's a strong possibility. I've also heard they've been looking at Florida too. So I would imagine if a man, I wouldn't, they're not going to put all three titles in March because I think John versus Cyril is enough to sell a pay-per-view. I don't think that's a card you specifically need to stack, especially if you're having two pay-per-views in March and then all of a sudden you have one and like th- throughout the months. I think they may even have two more in July, two pay-per-views in July. If they do go to Florida uh, at some point, maybe in April, May or whatever, Amanda lives there Amanda trains there obviously would make a lot all the sense in the world for Amanda to fight in Florida maybe have Valentina fight in the co-main event of a John Jones fight she's done that John Jones last fight against Dominic Reyes she was the co-main event in Houston Casey and I covered that fight they seem to have a lot of respect for each other she could get the rub from the John Jones Cyril gone eyes I hope both fights happen I'd like both like obviously the Juliana Pena Amanda Nunes fight that's the fight that should be happening but if they're going with plan B, I do like the Irene fight. It's a fresh matchup. Uh, she hasn't won a bantamweight in a while. She said she's lost to Holly and then had two catchweight fights. One, she missed weight. One was obviously Macy's decision uh, because she was struggling with the weight cut. But Irene has some serious power. She's long. She's powerful. Obviously, I would favor Amanda heavily, and I would favor Valentina heavily, Alexa Grasso. But me, I like both of these fights. I just don't think they both need to be on the same card. Yeah, and uh, we're, it seemed like Irene Aldana, I mean, she went on her Instagram stories and put a picture of a, of a lion, so I assume something right. spoke to that fire. Um, here's what I know and what we know about the Valentina versus Lux DeGrasso fight. The fight is happening. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Both sides have agreed this fight is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, is it going to happen March 4th? Some people are telling me they believe it will, but it's not 100%. And just like Jose just said, it could happen March 4th, could happen April 8th. It's probably going to happen on one of those two cards. But um, And we'll let you know. Like we say all the time, it's not on MMAfighting.com. It's not done yet. But that fight is going to happen. It's just a matter of and I, when. And there's probably a good reason why they want both fighters around the same timeline. Touche, Jose. Touche. So that's UFC 285. And it's crazy that UFC 283 is is like the third topic of discussion with everything going on. It's, it's almost crazy. like the fourth with everything. Uh, this Saturday, could UFC be the, it could be the it could be the fifth with all of this betting news and still the Dana White fallout. Like like UFC 283 might not even be in the top five most interesting talking points this week. Yeah, and when we get to news and notes, um, just looking at the website and everything that's going on. Uh, We'll talk about some of that stuff and you might be right about that. But uh, this Saturday, UFC back in Brazil, first card in Brazil in almost three years. The last time they were in Brazil, it was right when the pandemic started and 
they did the card in an empty arena. That was the start of it all. Mm -hmm. uh, these fans are going to be insane. They're going to be electric. They're going to be ready to go. And they're going to be ready to watch Glover Teixeira fight Jamal Hill for the vacant light heavyweight title because we all remember what happened at UFC 282. Mm -hmm. Jamal Hill getting this opportunity, supposed to fight Anthony Smith. And Glover Teixeira, at the end of the day, gets what he wants, gets to fight in Brazil and fight for the belt. So a little over 48 hours away from this one happening. The more closer we get to this one, Jose, what are your thoughts on the bout, the styles involved here? What are we thinking? I mean, I really like the fight for both men. Obviously, I wanted, like, we all agree it should have been Glover in that title fight in December anyway, um, either against Jan or if they had moved the Ankalaya fight to, to here in Rio or fighting Yuri in Rio. Obviously, I understand and respect Yuri's decision not to fight and the initial uh, initial fight in January in Rio, considering he was the reigning champion. Um, so I'm happy Glover gets the fight. I think Jamal Hill, as uh, Johnny Walker said, has the touch of death. Uh, I like this fight, but it it just feels like the last light heavyweight title fight where everyone is kind of focusing on the co-main event. And then when that fight ends, it just felt like everyone exhaled and not a ton of people were paying attention to this, the main event. And, and obviously, because in December you had Jan Blachowicz and uh, Magomed Ankalaev was the main event, but then the co-main event was the Patty Pimlet, Jared Gorin show. And then how that fight ended, I feel like all the media were writing about Patty Pimlet getting, like basically getting gifted a win. And then not a lot of people were paying attention to the main event. Even the fans kind of just, it just felt like the energy just got sucked clean out. It was like when Shawn Michaels fought Undertaker, at WrestleMania 25 in the co-main event. And then all of a sudden we had to watch Triple H, Randy Orton. It just didn't like no one cared. <laughs> no one cared after that match because it was so bananas in the co-main event. Um, everyone's obviously hyped for the co-main event, rightfully so. I'm very excited for the main event. I just feel like it's the second, maybe even third most intriguing fight on this card, but I'm happy it's happening. I'm bummed for Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith is obviously the backup, but I don't expect this to go five rounds whatsoever, considering how both of these men have fought and, sh and shown lately. Uh, excited, but it's not the most talked about fight on this card. Where the hell does this light heavyweight division go from Saturday, Jose? Because mm. there's a lot of chaos right now. I don't think... Magomed Ankalaev or Jan Blachowicz are in the great graces of the UFC right now. Like... Is no. the winner just going to wait for Yuri? Like, wh what do we do? Like, does it matter who wins before you could even make a determination here? Like, is there, is there a difference between if Glover wins and, and Jamal wins? Like, I have no idea what the hell they're going to do here. I, I guess it would depend on how healthy both fighters are coming out because obviously you can always get hurt in a fight. Jamal Hill at Media Day, if you go to MMAfighting.com's YouTube page, obviously Guillerme is down there. He shot Media Day, and Jamal Hill did not out rule out waiting for Yuri if he wins because he wants that fight. Glover also said he wants that rematch eventually based solely on the fan interest. Uh, I haven't seen an update from Yuri if he did put something out there on his timeline, but if, and I know this, we don't always have to take Dana White's word as his word, but if it is really the worst injury in the history of the UFC has ever seen for shoulders and he's out till 2024, I don't want, I obviously, I don't want the division to just kind of be put on ice for that long, especially Glover. He's not getting any younger. 
But who do you fight next? I don't know. I do not know. Because we obviously saw Glover and Anthony Smith play out. Um, Johnny Walker obviously has a big fight. But Glover, like, I don't know. There's no Tiago Santos <laughs> anymore. Um, I think it's going to depend here. I, I, it will depend on where these fights take place, if that makes sense. Because Glover really wants to fight in New York. If Glover goes out there and just melts Jamal Hill in the first round and he wants to do a quick turnaround to, I don't know, April in Brooklyn or whatever, so be it. I'd like all power to him. I think it's really going to depend on two things, location of pay-per-views coming up and whether Yuri is healthy or not because there's really not a next man up uh, for this light heavyweight division unless they want to give it to Magomed or Jan or they make Jan Magomed the co-main event of the title fight. I don't know. Like Your guess is as good as mine. Or they just give it to freaking Anthony Smith because he's already the backup anyway. So that's true. I just I think it would again it would it would depend because Glover already beat him. Remember he knocked his teeth out in Jacksonville. I was there. Like his teeth were literally on the canvas. Uh, Anthony Smith obviously has gotten much better since then. And then Jamal Hill was training with Anthony Smith. Like are they going to want to turn around and immediately fight each other? I don't know. That's up to them. And then Alexander Ratchik is probably on his way. Back soon, Nikita Krylov has. Who's Nikita Krylov fighting? Does he have a fight? Is he fighting Ryan Span? Uh, is it, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's Ooh. true. It's that would one. be a scrap. That would be a scrap. I mean, I would not hate the winner of that fight for a title either, especially Ryan Span. Ryan Span did say he wanted Anthony Smith or Glover to share next. Obviously, he didn't get either. But if you want to, you know, push Ryan Span, who just hits like a. Mack truck into one of those guys, I wouldn't hate that either. Yep. Main event, February 25th. That one's going mm-hmm. down. So uh, we'll see what happens. Love it. Uh, Figgy Moreno 4, I mean, the fight is going to rule. It's the Intercontinental title fight of the card. The whole rivalry has been incredible. The whole story. Uh, this could be the last one. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. But obviously, a lot on the line here for the rivalry, a lot on the line here for the division, because there's a ton of options at 125. It's going to be a really interesting division division to watch throughout the year. For both guys' legacies, you name it, this one has it all from a storyline perspective, does it not? Yes, everything you said. <laughs> this is this fight rules so much. These are like if these like Demetrius Johnson is the greatest flyweight ever, arguably the greatest fighter ever in terms of talent, clearly a top 10 fighter in the annals of time, regardless of promotion. If you want to make an argument that the winner of this, the second greatest flyweight ever, I'm not going to argue with you. Obviously Joe B is there too. He's had a very decorated and storied career. And he's one of those, he's in that Robert Whitaker, Daniel Cormier group where if like John Jones and Israel Asanya didn't exist, they would be the best in their, in their division. Joe B was that with Demetrius Johnson. Um, I and obviously Kyoji Horiguchi's out there too. Not taking nothing away from him, but this could also be the last time we see Davidson Figueredo at flyweight because uh, he's been talking about moving up to bantamweight quite a bit. And this is one of those rare fights where, yes, this four, these four fights lo- kind of locked up the division for a while, but I don't think anyone complained. You know, it's not like when DC and Stipe fought once a year for three years for the heavyweight title and the division got kind of stagnant for a bit. These guys have been active and every fight they've had has made sense when it happens. And it just made the rest of the division that much more interesting because everyone kind of caught up 
like everyone has fought everyone and now there is some sort of path like Pantoja is there Mateus Nicolau is there Amir Albazi is there we've had the arrival of Muhammad Mahayev is coming up uh, Alex Perez is obviously still doing his thing Max Schnell had a bunch of exciting fights uh, I am very 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 beyond excited for this co-main event it is there's no need for bad blood these are literally just two of the best at what they do fist fighting i can't wait i am beyond excited i the only thing that sucks is i don't get to see it live because the first three were bananas and the first three all happened in different there was like a different like the first fight was in an empty apex and it was a draw the second fight uh was in uh arizona where where Figueredo barely made weight, has started his new gym, still had Waleed. Uh, Davidson, obviously, Brandon Moreno was the like outside of Nate Diaz. Brandon Moreno was could basically walked on water that entire fight week. He could do no wrong with those fans. It is, I've never you remember that press conference with like Israel and Marvin and Nate and Leon and everything. Brandon Moreno was the biggest star. That dude, you couldn't hear him talk, like he lifted his hands up and the people went bananas and then the second the third fight with brandon defending his title every mexican in the world was in anaheim that fight week and they just kind of took over a city block obviously he lost and we're going to brazil it's just another wrinkle to this it's such this is obviously one of the best this is the greatest rivalry in the flyweight history it's got to be up there for best rivalries in ufc history considering no one has ever had a fourth fight i'm not getting into the quadrology quadrilogy argument that gc and <laughs> ak are having i don't care about the terminology because this fight effing rules and i am so excited for it Another wrinkle here, and I don't know if you've seen, I'm sure you've seen this by now, but there's a, a video that is kind of the surface of Davis and Figueredo. Um, he looks ripped, looks shredded, he looks but he unreal. looks, he also not looks great. A, not great. You know, he looks good physically, yeah. like, but if you look at his face, he looks a little, uh, yeah. a little drained. Are you, are you concerned? Were you concerned watching that video? And do you think win, lose, or draw, this is, this is the last wake up to 125? I think it's going to depend on who's there because David Figueredo is 35. The weight cuts on don't get easier as you get older, especially to flyweight. Like there's a reason Demetrius Johnson is fighting at one third. Like, yes, it's the flyweight championship, but he's fighting at 135 in one champ in, in one championship because of their, their, how, how their weight divisions work. And I'm sure you guys remember when he weighed in in Arizona, went before the second fight against Davidson Figueroa, he weighed in at like 10, 59 and 30 seconds and basically, and then burst into tears when he made weight. That's how rough these weight cuts are. Um, I don't know who's left that is big enough name to keep him there. Because obviously, Cody, remember there was that there was that weird fever dream when like Cody Garbrandt was going to fight for the flyweight title, and then it just kind of <laughs> fell apart. Um, Davidson Figueredo, Cody Cody Garbrandt, that obviously would have been enough to keep Figueredo down. And then when uh, Kai Car France knocked out Cody Garbrandt, he took that shine, and then Figueredo wanted to fight Kai Car France instead, but then it ended up being Brandon Moreno. I don't know if there's a big enough name to keep Figueredo down there, so I wouldn't. I'm leaning towards him moving up to Bantamweight after this solely because I just, unless Muhammad Mahayev just talks himself into it because he's popular. I just don't, I don't see anyone big, a big enough draw to keep him there. Cause that Pantoja fight is a low key banger. 
That's one of the best fights I've seen live. That was like buried on the prelims of like UFC 240 in Edmonton. Me, Casey, Esther, and AK were there. And that one fight of the night, I just been there, done that. You're not going to top that performance. I just don't know if there's enough to keep him at flyweight, uh, especially if these weight cuts are getting rougher and rougher. And I would selfishly, there's a lot of guys at Bantamweight, I would not hate to see Figueredo fight because a lot of people on the site I am not one of them. Think the Bantamweight division is the best. Won't argue against you. Uh, but, like, I'm not going to say no to, like, Figueredo versus, like, Adrian Yanez or Figueredo versus Cheeto Vera or Figueredo versus any of these cats. Like, sign me up. But, obviously, do what you do what you feel is best for your body. Yes. Uh, rest of the main card, Gilbert Burns versus Neil Magny, Jessica mm. Andrade versus Lauren Murphy, and Johnny Walker versus Paul Craig, which I mean, if we're mm. talking about fights where I have literally have no idea what the hell is going to happen, that one checks mm-hmm. off all of the mystery boxes. But uh, outside of the two title fights, which of those other main card bouts is the most intriguing to you? Mm, probably the Gilbert Burns, Neil Magny fight solely because Gilbert Burns has been trying to fight for so long. The last time we saw him fight, was against Hamzat Shemaev. And for some reason, two people on our website picked that as their fight of the year when we live in a world where Yuri Prohaska fought Glover Teixeira. But that just goes to show you how good that fight is. That there was an inkling of conversation that that was a fight of the year. So and Gilbert Burns is obviously, he is, he, that dude's down to clown against anybody. I'm happy that it's Neil Magny. Neil Magny's interview on the MMR was just super fascinating. Uh, to watch he's like fight, fighting Shavkat you know fought Damian Maya back in Brazil he's fought in the RDAs in Brazil uh, that he is just so talented and I think obviously underappreciated the most wins in the welterweight division Gilbert Burns is just lightning in a bottle the size difference is super interesting to watch too we're going to get a lot of answer, questions answered for how this division can move forward after this because obviously people want Gilbert Burns to fight Jorge Dio Magni has been calling out everyone under the sun down to fight anyone under the sun. So when we get this Jeff Neal Shavkat fight out of the way, Neil Magny Gilbert Burns out of the way, we'll have a more clear blow. Muhammad is still there. I'm very excited for this fight because I feel like Neil, as much as we talk all these great things about Neil Magny and all these impressive wins, like the Carlos Condits and the lead Julian fights and uh, just how great he's the Robbie Lawler wins, the Kelvin Gastelum fights. Like he's just never, he gets in like that top three range and then he falls like against RDA. And I think it was Damian Maya. And now he's fighting Gilbert Burns is, has Neil Magny done enough to get over that hump? And is Gilbert Burns the one that like halt his momentum again? Very curious about this fight. Also, there's no trash talk. I just want to see a good fight. These are the kind of, this is the buildup. I like there's two guys that want a fist fight. Yeah. And that's what we're going to get. Uh, I am very intrigued by the Jessica Andrade, Lauren Murphy fight. Yeah. That's probably a lot of people, for me. Yeah. I mean, most people just think like you look at the match of, oh, Jessica's just going to kill Lauren. I don't think so. Like, I think Jessica's going to have a lot of success in this fight, but mm-hmm. Lauren is a, she's a dog, man. She's not going to go good. away easily. And the longer that fight goes, the better it goes for Lauren Murphy. So I think that fight could be the fight of the night. Maybe not a popular opinion amongst the community but i think that fight is just gonna be ridiculous where jessica gets some success early and then lauren dogs it out and makes it really interesting um yeah we'll see what happens what's the low-key banger what's the low-key storyline non-main card oh why is it jailton almeida come on (laughs) 
no, it's not Jailton Almeida. Like, I love Jailton Almeida. Go back to light heavyweight. That's my answer to that. There's only one thing in the world that matters in the prelim card. And this is it's the fact that this is the last time we're gonna watch Shogun Hua fight. Like this is he is he's a man that when he walks in a room filled with fighters, like imagine all of your favorite fighters in the world, and they're all in a room and they're all talking. Shogun Hua walks in and walks through the room, everyone gets out of the way. There are very few fighters that are just kind of universally respected, and Shogun is one of them. He is your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. There is, I, I am willing to bet there are dozens of fighters on the roster that are fighting because of him. For his 2005 run in Pride, it's between him and John Jones' 2011 for greatest single calendar year in MMA history. I lean towards John Jones. I think it's absolutely fantastic that Shogun is kind of embracing that and saying, like, no, mine was better, like kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's – I don't remember – like, I got into MMA during the Pride heyday. I've not watched MMA – I've not followed MMA when Shogun hasn't been fighting. And he's really like – I know Casey and Eric and I were talking about this kind of in a group chat yesterday, how I'm like, obviously Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler fought in Pride, but they fought when Pride came to America. Shogun is really the last – is the last superstar – from the Pride era where, you know, they had the big entrances in Pride. They had the big open weight Grand Prix, uh, like Fedor still, obviously Fedor is about to retire. So the fact that we're losing Fedor and Shogun within like a month of each other is, it's, it's jarring that like, I don't, I haven't been watching MMA where these two haven't fought. And Shogun, like I said, there are a few people that ever, that are just universally loved and respected. He comes from a different era where he's just down to fight anybody. Like we see a lot of these guys hold out for fights and super fights. And oh, I want this to be my last match and so on and so forth. And I don't blame them for that because it's prize fighting after all. Shogun is a cat that just wants to fight. Like he's fighting a guy, a young up and coming guy. Or I think I'm not, I'm going to butcher his name. doesn't have to take that fight. He could have held out for a bigger name. Like little, he did the, he did it for little knock. Little knock's last fight was a trilogy fight against Shogun. Shogun was like, I already beat you twice. I'll fight you a third time at your last card. Shogun could have done that. He didn't. The UFC goes, he wants you to fight this guy. And Shogun's like, yep, let's do it. I remember when he fought Paul Craig to a draw. And he goes, I'll rematch Paul Craig in Scotland. Like, sure. I'll fly to Hamburg and I'll fight Anthony Smith in Germany. I'll do all of these things. There was a a reason that when, when Daniel Cormier was the light heavyweight, was the double champ. And they're like, oh, who would you go down for? And this and that. He said it because at the time Shogun was on some sort of like he had one like two, three in a row. He goes, if Shogun asked me to fight for the title, I will go to light heavyweight and I will fight Shogun because that's how much respect people have for Shogun. Didn't you think he had to fight John Jones in 2011 on short notice? No. This young monster of a of a prospect. He was Shogun was supposed to fight Rashad Evans. Rashad Evans gets hurt, and then this what do you do with this guy in John Jones? Doesn't have to take that fight. Still took the fight. Got absolutely mollywopped, but still took the fight. The only fight on the pre... Obviously, every fight matters. The, the only story for your question is what is important on the prelims is Shogun who was last fight. Because I, I people need to care. And if they're fight, there are obviously fight fans that got into the sport because of Connor. 
go watch Shogun's highlight reel because there are few fighters that have a better highlight reel than Shogun Hua. I'm I'm gonna be sad when we see him put his gloves in the in the octagon. Just go watch Shogun's fights from late 2013 through 2005, and that's everything you need to know about the man. The dude is that was one of the most like underrated, legendary runs in the history of this sport. He's so what good, he did. man. It's so crazy. Uh, but you said it well. Uh, Guillermo Cruz. I wish that he had gotten. Oh, I wish that he. I wish I wish that he had gotten if they because I, I wish they had re-signed because Leota Machida is going to retire soon too and he kind of hinted at it and I've been also calling for a while they should have re-signed Leoto for one fight they should have completed the trilogy and then they both should have retired in Rio that's the only, that's the storybook ending but then I was like thinking about it yesterday when he was on the MMA or like how it's just so perfect that it's Shogun's like who am I fighting okay fine it just sums up his <laughs> career. I think it's yeah. so I talked myself into loving this fight because it's perfect Shogun. Yeah. And it's a winnable fight for Shogun. If you actually look at it. So, uh, like that very much, uh, go check out Guillermo Cruz wrote a great feature talking to different fighters about the legacy of Shogun. It's, uh, the top story at MMA fighting right now. Jed hosted a Dan. They were good about the legendary career of Shogun Hua. So, uh, those guys should have renamed it. Damn. They were the best. <laughs> and they just basically everyone just went back and watched like the whole catalog and reacted to it so you can check mm-hmm. that out on the podcast network as well but uh happy trail shogun we'll see you on saturday uh i will see you on saturday as well on this here channel myself gc ufc 283 watch party join us jose will be there for the co-main event new york rick will join us for the main event and drake riggs from mma mania will join us for i believe the jessica Andrade lauren murphy fight so we're gonna have some fun some games some challenges along the way. The chat bet will be back in, in your life. So a lot to be excited about. So let's get to some news and notes and then uh, we will get to the peeps, but the Bellator champion series is back in action Friday, May 17th live from Paris, France reigning bantamweight champ patchy mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You were mentioning it earlier, Jose, about certain things going on, and it reminded you of like WrestleMania moments. And I think the Nganu news and then the John Jones, Cyril Ghan announcement, this was Rock Hogan. And then Leon Edwards, Kamara Usman 3 was Triple H versus Chris Jericho because Dana White just low-key announces that this fight is done for UFC 286 and it went over like a fart in church because no one cared because of everything else going on right now. But 
This one got buried with all the other news, did it not? I mean, excitement levels for this one. I mean, this is the fight we knew was going to happen, but there was so much like unsurety about it because of Usman and the hand and the wrist. But it was just like, oh, yeah, and Leon and Usman's official for London. Well, if you watch it, I'm the one I ask because I didn't even ask him about that. Like, it's the way it was Dana's delivery and everything. Because I asked him, I go, is there any update on the co-main event? For UFC 285, the one in in March, because you know that was also when Aljamain Sterling come out about his bicep, and so who don't know Mallory going back and forth. I go, is there any update? And he goes, uh, no. The only three fights that I made a f-, and he like is like thinking about it. He's like, uh, Jones gone, obviously Faziv, Gaethje, and then I told you guys that Leon and Kamaru were official. And then in my mind, I'm like, when? When did you do that? Like, did I miss? <laughs> Leon told like us. it made me. It made me question. Like, did I miss that? Like, is my because then I had followed it up, and in my mind, I'm like, am I just an idiot? Did I just? Am I gonna look like an idiot asking this? I go, is Kamar Usman Leon Edwards actually official? And he's like, yeah, that's a go. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I guess again. <laughs> but then you got to go into like, oh, Dana White slap thing and the New Year's Eve incident and Cyril Gunn and John Jones. And then, I mean, also not for nothing, like not even top seven most interesting news, but like Justin Gaethje is going to fight Rafael Fazeev. And like, no one is talking about it. Like it's, <laughs> it's everything was buried in that press conference. Well, let's talk about it now. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, mm. I'm sure I'm going to hear in some way, shape or form, inject this fight into my veins at some point through this ramp, but I mean, holy shit, dude, Justin Gage versus Raphael Vazeev. Ridiculous fight. I wish it was five rounds. I get why it's not, you know, and everyone keeps like, I, I was not, I did not subscribe to the notion that Justin Gage, was like, didn't want to fight Vazeev because if you watch his interview, his, he did a guest fighter scrum in Salt Lake city backstage for the Usman Leon fight. And then he did the guest fighter scrum when they had like guest media, like that second media day, in New York City, and Fazeev was brought up both times, and he's like, I'm down to fight him. I just need to physically get healthy because he had surgery on his nose. He had broken his nose for the first time. He got in, like, a bike accident. When I say bike, like, I mean bicycle, not a motorcycle. Like, he got in a bicycle accident. He's like, I just need to get healthy, and then I'll fight I'll fight whoever. Like, obviously, he wanted to fight, like, the Poirier's and the Oliveira's of the world, but he goes, I'll fight. Like, sure, I'll fight Fazeev. So I don't subscribe to the notion that Justin Gaethje was holding out for Fazeev. I think he just, you know, rightfully so needed to get healthy. So now that they're healthy, beyond excited, wish it was five rounds, understand why it's not. Yeah, and I think the problem with that one was, was too is some of those like internet social media sites report things that are not happening and people get excited about it because uh, it was rumored that the fight was going to happen in December and I talked to Gaethje about it and he goes, no, I'm not fighting anybody in December. I'm not fighting anybody till March or April. So um, I'm glad yeah, you was always down. Internet, I'm glad you call them MMA internet sites rather than the media because the people that just take things and roll them we'll call them idiots rather than media members. <laughs> uh, another big fight that was announced March 11th, Las Vegas, uh, the Virgin hotels, I believe uh, not the apex be a nice, small, you know, early Monday night rush kind of a crowd. Uh, Piotr Jan versus Rob de Wallace. Willie is going to be the main event. Was this the fight to make Jose? It is. It a hundred percent was the fight to make because, uh, I know we saw like the them like you know shaking hands and hugging and play fighting in 
Abu Dhabi, but that's because, you know, they were both gearing up for, you know, Marab was helping Aljamain prepare for TJ. Jan was preparing for O'Malley. There was no real issue there. Uh, but all that stuff that Aljamain Sterling was saying or like when he was speaking Russian to Jan in Jacksonville, the fight that you and I were at, remember he was saying all that Russian stuff to him and at the press conference and Jan was just like looking at him like, I'm going to kill you right now. <laughs> that was all stuff that Marab Devalishvili was telling him to say because he speaks Russian, obviously. And then there's obviously those videos of Marab and Jan uh, jawing at each other backstage. I'm not calling this a blood feud, but there's obviously some sort of bad blood because I also asked Marab in, when he fought Jose Aldo in Salt Lake City, I asked him for like, oh, what are your thoughts on Cruz versus Cheeto and O'Malley versus uh, Jan? Because obviously I didn't ask him about Aljamain and TJ because what's he going to do, pick against Aljamain? And he, he, he broke down Cheeto versus Cruz, and then he goes, and then Jan and O'Malley, I hate those guys. I don't care. And I was like, oh, wow, like serious issues with that. So uh, I, st- I think Jan will win. He should win. Uh, but this is this was the fight to make, considering Jan is coming off two losses. There's some sort of issue with Marab. Marab is still high, highly ranked. If you beat Marab, you can still be in the top three, four. And if Marab wins, that's enough to propel him uh, into the title picture. And then after that, if if Marab beats Jan, I really think Aljamain's time at Bantamweight will be pretty close to coming to an end because uh, he's going to get out of the way, move up to featherweight, let Marab fight for the Bantamweight title. I wanted to see Marab fight Umar Namagamadoff. That's the one I wanted to see. It's, it's That's still going to happen down the road. It could. And then Jan can just kind of chill and wait for the winner of uh, Font versus Janez because I like that idea as well. But hey, listen, Bantamweight, you can't go wrong. This will be, there's a story here. It's a fine fight. Um, I'm good with it. So, uh, or, uh, Billy, if, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to give me Jan versus Corey Sanhagen in part two, the actual 2021 fight of the year. I'm not going <laughs> to complain either. It's a great choice. Billy Q versus Edson Barboza, April 15th, Jose. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think Billy Q said it. This is a weird one in the sense, not weird that it's happening, but when's the last time you saw a fighter go, I want to fight that guy next and the UFC actually made it? Never happens. <laughs> so when, they, when that fight became official, I was like, huh, Billy Q got what he asked for. Don't see that often in the UFC, but then he put out like uh, uh, train until your heroes become your opponents. I'm like, damn, this is you just write the check now for fight of the night. Like, honestly, Uh, last thing we'll go to questions. Uh, We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but some some recent developments. Uh, Jeff Molina suspended by Nevada for. Mm quote unquote, substantial involvement in the James Krause situation. Obviously, this, this is allegations, investigation going on. Uh, UFC put out a statement that he was not released because the roster bot said he was had the big X next to him, uh, but he will not be booked until the investigation is over at the earliest. And coincidentally, we found out a little while ago, UFC is now partnering with US Integrity, the company who is actually investigating the scandal. Uh, the code of conduct was updated a little bit more with more gambling verbiage, no more third-party wagers for anyone involved with the UFC. And then we found out a little while ago, Ontario released a statement. They are reinstating wagering on UFC fights because of the changes made to the code of conduct. So a lot happening here, but dude, this crowd story, it looks like we're just getting started, but where are you at with these new developments? Um, 
I mean, now correct me if I'm wrong. Now it's like all fighters and managers and coaches are like barred from betting on fights now, right? Like, yep, that's official thing. Like, I mean, that should have been the thing out of the gate anyway. Um, I mean, James Krause shot himself on the foot. Jeff Jeff Molina did not. What did you see that those tweets with Cody Durden? The Jeff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh my! Like when he tweeted that, I'm like, dude, what did he say? He like, so, like he can't got pulled out of a fight, and then he like made notions of like a betting investigation type thing. I'm like, Jeff, I know you're young, and I know you're kind of silly right now, but like, don't just shut up, just shut up. Um, fighters being barred from fighting on uh, betting on bets on uh, betting on fights, I think, should have been a thing to begin with. Um, I'm not saying like stop from betting on anything like the NFL does. Like a lot of fighters have been like kind of barred from fighting for like suspended for like betting on other sports. I don't think they need to do that, but it's interesting that the UFC is now working hand in hand with the people that are kind of investigating this to begin with kind of like when they parted with USADA, this is kind of really the last time we've seen this. So, uh, not surprised that they've got a third party looking into it. Very surprised that it's the people that got them in trouble. So I guess if you, if you can't beat them, join them type situation. Uh, here's, here's the quote, uh, Rache T McKnight, the EVP and general counsel of the UFC said of this in a release, we have made enhancements to our UFC athlete conduct policy to more clearly express the po- prohibition against any UFC athlete from placing any wagers directly or through a third party on any UFC match, including placing wagers on themselves. We have also expanded our discussion of so-called UFC insiders to make clear that these same prohibitions against wagering apply to an athlete's coaches, managers, handlers, athletic trainers, and other individuals affiliated with the athletes or UFC, and that violations by these insiders may result in disciplinary action against related contract athletes. Finally, we have reiterated our expectation that our contract athletes will come to us to report any matters that might raise integrity concerns. We thank the AGCO for their cooperation, and we look forward to continuing to work with them to ensure the integrity of our sport for the benefit of our athletes and our fans. So there you go. So that's Ontario. They're back. Um, Great. So, yeah, good. I think uh, probably should have been in place early on, but uh, it's, here it's we are. I always, I always felt weird because, like, Obviously, I'm sure you've gotten it a million times. When there's a big fight, how many texts do you get saying, like, who should I bet on? I get them oh, at nauseum. I'm like, dude, I'm not telling you that. Like, it just makes me feel gross. <laughs> Considering, like, I'm around these guys. I know their coaches. Like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Dude, I'm not telling you who to bet on. It makes my skin crawl. Yep. All right. Well, there you go. There's some news and notes. Casey, come on If in. you need to know who to bet on, Go listen to No Bets Bard on the MMA Fighter Podcast with GC and Jed. Plug it, you know, <laughs> promote the product. Great, great podcast. Great podcast. Great show. Great show. Great show. And both are uh, <laughs> both are exposed on uh, this UFC 283 card in a big way. Lots of weird oh, parlays shocking. and stuff. It's 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 fun stuff. But shocking. Casey, how are you, my friend? Doing good, sir. Doing good. Good. All right, I'll take a few questions. Yeah. Hey, Casey. Yes, sir. I haven't had time without giving me any spoiler. Ooh. Don't tell me who won at all. How was Bola? Oh. Don't 
don't tell me nothing. I have literally, I have <laughs> muted so many words. I have muted so many words on my Twitter. I don't want to know who was in the mm-hmm. Battle Royale. I don't want to know any of the matchups. But how was it? The Battle Royale was fantastic. Was it better? Was it better than when me and you went? Ooh, that when Bandito won. It was. Oh, it was equally great, but very different. Okay. It. 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 it, it oh, was, interesting. Uh, it was. It was shocking. It was shocking. I. I. I yeah. I, I. I was taking photos, and I, I had to put my camera down for a moment and just go. I was just. Like, oh. <laughs> I've. If you could see my list of muted words on Twitter, they pretty much all have to do with PWG and Bola right now. Yeah, it was PWG. Uh, oh, um, oh, not a spoiler or anything, but uh, Brian Keith was a, a late replacement. I think he replaced Leo Rush. Blew me away. Right. Me. And I Great. Legit saw, That's what I love Bola for. Yeah, and I legit saw one of the best matches I've ever seen. Just one of those out of nowhere oh, matches. Damn. I was just like, I was just oh cool cool matchup, and then it happened. I was like. I, that that's up there is like one of the best things I've ever seen. So, oh, my skin's my body is ready. Anyway, so back to the show. <laughs> all, right, all, right. <laughs> all right, all right, now real fighting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, do 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 do. Um, oh, quick uh, question about the uh, la 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 the gambling thing. But this is a little interesting. Is it everyone that works at the Apex mm. as well? Even the janitor can't bet. Basically, That's a great is it, question. Is it all UFC employees, all the production crew, like Dana, Dana's wife, Dana's cousins? Like no one's allowed to. If you have any association with the UFC, or you, like, like, it's I, a great question. That's something. It's a good uh, question. Yeah, I I don't know. I would assume that there's probably like like their own guidelines for actual employees. Perhaps I would I would yeah, assume, I especially know. now. Not for nothing, I do know the people that, like the janitors and the overnight crew, are not UFC employees. They're hard, hired third party to clean, and I only know that because they hit my car and <laughs> crashed it. So uh, That's a great question. Uh, is there a backup for the co-main Pantoja or something? Uh, I believe Guillermo reported a while ago that uh, Alex Pants is, is the backup. Alex Pants. I can't get out of my head now after yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pantoja should be fighting for the title if this wasn't happening. All this 100%. wasn't happening. So we don't have any we don't have reports of if he's down there or not, Pantoja, Mr. Pants. Mr. Pantalonis. Uh, I can look on like IG oh. real quick. Yeah, so uh, to, I guess the answer unsub, we're not quite sure. we a few months ago or a couple months ago we were told it was Pantoja, but no confirmation this week. Yeah, just yeah. He's says, so he says he's there, so okay. Um, and he's hashtagging UFC Rio and UFC 283. Oh, okay. So there you go. Um, I don't, I don't really like, I don't really like if questions, but I think this would, I think this is interesting though. If Figgy wins, will the UFC allow him to move up to 35 and challenge for the belt without being stripped? Basically, are they going to allow him to be a double champ? the opportunity to be a double champ i don't know man like look as jose mentioned earlier and i'm full on in agreement with him figgy fighting a lot of guys at 135 it scratches me right where i itch but there is a log jam 
at 135 right yeah. now. With with challengers, this division doesn't need him going up there and fighting champion versus champion. It does, doesn't need to happen. Um, yeah, I would say I would say if he moves up to 35, he's probably he's probably going to relinquish the title. That'd be my guess if he's going to go up because that it would be tough because then if you normally they make the because then they would need an interim title what are you going to do throw brand moreno in another interim title fight and then do a fifth fight it would be tough like you could do nicolau versus pantoja for the interim fight because that fight rules too but then what are you getting like i don't know it's tough it's tough and if iggy does win and go to 35 he would have to get a title shot i can't i can't imagine someone would have champion to. going up in weight and not as an active champion not getting a title 100 percent. just weird if yeah, so and with the log jam, you said at thirty five, I mean he will be jumping in front of everyone. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. It's um uh, tough. Yeah, it's tough. All right. Uh did you uh, like I say about everybody and I've said yep. about Cejudo since day one since he's planned his comeback. Go fight Cheeto Vera. If you beat him, then go you can go fight for the belt. Well, Figueroa also said on the MMA Hour that he'll fight anyone at Bantamweight except Cejudo. So yeah. Henry has that title. That's not happening. That's true. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm very curious how this, how, how we are going to see who the baddest man on the planet or undisputed after on March 5th. What do you think about that, Jose? Do you, like, we, we talk, in our instant reaction... I was telling Shaheen that it almost feels like in this weird way with everything that has happened this year, how everything's so ironic that John Jones in a strange way is kind of like the Daniel Cormier of the situation that even if he wins, there's always, there's still going to be questions like, well, he didn't beat Francis. So like he'll be recognized as the champion. And most people will be like, dude, like he it's, this wasn't his decision. Uh, it just worked out this way. Fran- he didn't want Francis to leave the UFC. Francis just left the UFC, so this is what we had left. But do you feel like that reaction will happen on March 5th? Like, if Jones goes out there and just melts Cyril, it'll just be like, well, he's just lucky he didn't fight Francis. That's why he's the disputed champ and not the undisputed champ. Well, even if Cyril wins, Cyril wins too. Yeah, gone, gone too. I think that's going to be the reaction right away for sure. I mean, how you that whole fight week is going to be Francis talk. The whole post fight is going to be Francis talk. It's I think if they keep winning, eventually it will die down. But the immediate reaction will one thousand percent say disputed. Like like were we did we have the same argument when Robert Whitaker beat Romero, and then didn't fight GSP because GSP was the because remember Robert Whitaker was the interim champion. When George St. Pierre beat Michael Bisping, like we didn't have, and then when when GSP retired, and then Robert Whitaker beat, like went on this run, we weren't saying like, yeah, but he never fought GSP. I eventually it goes away, but like the immediate reaction will a hundred percent be disputed. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. I mean, it's it's gonna be interesting. But like, if John goes out, if John goes out there and beats Cyril Stipe. Blades. And then just beats Curtis Blades. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> like, at that point, you just you beat three guys that Francis beat, and then it's like you got one A, one B. And then it's a then it's a com- it's not, oh, you never beat Francis. It's, it's I want to watch this fight. Yeah. Or Pavlovich. Because Francis never yeah, beat John too. 
Because if he or Pavlovich, if he does hundred percent, that's a good point too. If if he beats all those guys, eventually it could get to the point where I go, oh well, Francis might not be the best because he never beat John Jones. John Jones never beat Francis. Who is the best? Then it's more of a question than a, like an argument. Yeah, but I mean, it's, there, there's a, there's a lot of ifs, of course, but um, it'll be a lot crazy. of ifs, a lot of ifs, a lot of ifs, giant ifs. But it'll be crazy if somehow within next year, we're we're doing the same arguments about what we used to say about Fedor. No, Fedor's the best. We never fought UFC. Like, you know, I wonder if I we're getting to that same point with Francis. We're like, we're like, well, Francis is now beating the Baders or. I don't know whoever else. Well, it's like out there. like Stipe never fought Kane, and at at one point they were the they were both on the UFC roster. They were both arguments that they were the best heavyweights ever. Just didn't happen. It happened. Also, like Stipe is one and one with Francis. Like if John beats Cyril, and then Stipe goes out there and beat John Jones, all of a sudden Stipe is back into the argument over who's the best. Considering you don't have that, like like if Curtis Blades wins the championship, Francis beat him twice. That's a that's something you can bring up. Steve Bay and France are one and one right now. And two very different fights. Yeah. Yep. And, and two very different times, I think. Very yeah, different I know, times. I know. Yeah, we all yeah, we all um all right. Uh one more question. Oh, I think I think this is low inter- I don't really agree with this this question, but you know, wait, I'll let you guys throw your opinions out. Uh, what are the thoughts on fans not buying Alexa Grasso versus Valentina for the women's flyweight title? I thought she would rematch Tyla. Fans on Twitter are still demanding Val Nunes three. Uh, well, Tyla's booked to fight her in Blanchfield, so that can't happen right now. Um, you would think if Tyla wins that they would do the rematch, or if Aaron Blanchfield wins, I don't know if they'll throw her right into a title fight or give her Bannon Fioro or something else. Yeah, but. I mean, it all depends. Um, and obviously, we're, we're all demanding Val Nunes 3. We want to see it at some point. We're hopeful that it happens this year. But I just don't – there's just nobody else available right now. Like, Alexa's – Alexa's love, earned the shot, in my I love, opinion. I love this but fight. It makes sense. I don't – Yeah, I don't it's a fine fight. I love it. I love this fight. The Tyler fight, if they had that's made that I fight, question, I get it. I get it. Because, like, I'm a fan. Yeah. I buy it. <laughs> I, I would have 100% understand – understood the Tyler fight. Because there's people, I would have 100, and it, or if, like, if Misha had beat Lauren Murphy and they made that fight, 100% get that. Um, I mean, I want to see Amanda Nunez would get top billing, not Val Nunez. It would be Nunez versus Shevchenko three. I would love, I, I want to see that fight. Um, but I, who's the last great striker that Valentina fought? It's probably Joanna. I'm, uh, Chukagan, she beat Chukagan fair and square. But uh, I think Alexa has shown a lot of good uh, offensive grappling, especially against in the JoJo fight. I really like this fight. She's also super tough. Like, but like that, you know, like that. Her fight against Carl is great. That's like the most exciting fight Carl has ever had. And then her fight against Caroline Kovalkiewicz in Chicago. And then right, and then the fight against against Kovalkiewicz in Chicago. That was also a scrap. Like Alexa Grasso is one of those fighters that is even her last fight against Viviani, never in a boring fight. Nope. Good striker, good grappling. Um, I think I think the best weird boxer. that she lost to Felice Herrig. Oh yeah, weird that she lost to Felice Herrig. Yeah. I think it's just like hey, how long then, ago was that? Yeah. <laughs> um, that was her first loss, if I remember yeah, correctly. I want to say 
I think it was on the I think it was on the Bermuda Zombie card. Yeah, Houston, it, was, it was a while back in. It was in Houston. I was at that card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I think mean, that card. So now, I mean, I figured that's that's so long ago. I don't even like. That's not even right. Right. Like, right. Like, I, I love this fight. I thought I thought for sure Alexa would have to win one more to earn the shot. Like if they, had, I thought the fights were going to be Valentina versus Tyla, and then Alexa versus Manon would be uh, would be the fight, and then the winner of Manon and Pharrell versus Alexa Grasso would get the shot. But I understand if they don't want to knock off two like new opponents for Valentina. I like the fight. Love um, it. It's fine. Who's man? I don't know who Manon fights now. I have no idea. Uh, probably the winner, winner of winner of Andrade. If Blanchfield wins. You know what? Blanchfield beats Santos. Look, everyone's forgetting up. We did it. We did our UFC title fight predictions, and yeah, no Suarez. one brought Suarez. up Tatiana Suarez. Oh. I think because we don't believe it yet. I think until it's one she's like she's a bit the John Jones thing. Until she walks in the cage, I'm not I'm not gonna get my mind too wrapped we'll around she does. Suarez yet. Yeah. It, Plus she we don't know she what wants to do. go back to strawweight. Exactly. That's the other there's a lot of mystery behind Tatiana Suarez, but yeah. from right. conversations I've had with people who have either trained with her or have seen her train over the last few months, bad mamma jamma. Scary. Scary is a word that has been used by pretty much everybody that has watched her train over the last few months. She is scary right now. So the last time I wrote about Tatiana Suarez was the 2019 Breakthrough Fighters of the Year. <laughs> That's so crazy. And and a young undefeated middleweight named Israel Adesanya won, and a young upstart featherweight named Alex Volkanovsky was five. Wow. That's wild. I had to go back and read I that. Know. I got to go back and read a bunch of those from my – pre-MMA fight. I think days. it was, if I remember correctly, number one was Israel. Number two, I think, was Anthony Smith. Tatiana Suarez. Volkanovski tied with somebody. I can't remember, but it was it was great. Because I had to write six things for that because they had a lot. It was, like, that one was very competitive that year. What a year. All right, do we have anything else or are we good? Um... I think we are good. All right. So lots to uh, lots to come for UFC 283. Uh, weigh-ins are what, 7 a.m. Eastern tomorrow morning? I am waking up at 3.30 a.m. to get ready for the 4 a.m. weigh-ins mm-hmm. for the Pacific, okay. Pacific mm-hmm. time. All right. Yes. So get your coffee early. Weigh-in show going down nice and early. Uh, so that'll be right here. So get excited for that. Wow. Um, Listen, before, before we go, I found Casey, pull yourself up for this one too. I found the, this is a crazy list. Now the top five from that year, <laughs> the top, the top five of the 2018, it was 2018 breakthrough fight of the year written. Obviously it came out in 2019. Israel Adesanya was number one. And then Aaron Pico and Anthony Smith tied for number two. Uh, Tatiana Suarez was three or fourth, however you want to phrase it. And then, and then two current champions, Zhang Wei Li and Alex Volkanovsky, were tied for fifth. That is <laughs> oh a crazy God. list. Hey, what have we never done? That's a good list. And of those five, like Aaron Pico and like Tatios, like Aaron Pico's had like, I guess, didn't like to be it's, determined. But it's like, to be yeah, yeah. yeah. But my God, did MMA fighting just hit the nail on the head that oh. year? 
<laughs> That's a crazy list right there. Uh, so again, uh, weigh-ins, 7 a.m. tomorrow, Eastern Standard Time. We'll have a preview show, I believe, 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll have the People's Pre-Fight Show, 5.15 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Of course, we'll have the watch party, so you can watch the car along with us. Uh, post-fight stuff, press conference, post-fight show afterwards, and then AK and I will be live on Sunday for... On to the next one for some matchmaking following UFC 283 and obviously a lot still going on in the world of MMA with Francis and all this other stuff going on. So like I said earlier, buckle up. This is just January. We're just getting started here. So Casey, you can hit the music. We are done. Another BTL in the books. Jose, thank you for joining us again. It was a rare treat. And uh, you stood in for Jed Bashu admirably, my man. There you go. All right, we're out of here, everybody. So for Jose, Casey on the ones and twos, I am Mike. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Stay tuned to MMA Fighting for everything UFC 283 and beyond. We are done. See you back next week between the links. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links, MMA Fighting Production on the Fox Media Network. Happy birthday, AK. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prof G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prof G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.